This is a Momentum Media production. Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. Oh, good everyone. How are you going? Still Taryn here. Enjoying the guitar riffs, which sets off another month's of Investing Insights with the Right Property Group, Steve Waters, Victor Kumar, gentlemen, directors, Right Property Group. How are you going? Good, Phil. Going well, mate. It, um, I, that was your choice of the guitar riff, wasn't it, I believe? No, nothing to do with me. You guys signed it off. And um, I know Vic sort of sits there in his <laughs> underwear. I think he's got a air guitar every now and then. <laughs> Wakes up, wakes up in the morning of investing insights with the right property group just to get himself in the mood. I wish you hadn't have said that, Bill. I've got an image in my head I can't get rid of. <laughs> Mate, well, the, uh, the and I, I know Victor, our good friend, is from the uh, the Great Island of Fiji, but um, maybe he's finished because they have the uh, the World Championship air guitar event every single year. So maybe we'll see him up there at some point in Helsinki with his black rock and wig on and. Giving it a good old belting out the investing insights with the right property group riff. Maybe maybe Vic should be tasked with putting some words, some lyrics to the. <laughs> maybe maybe Stephen, maybe that's a uh, an opportunity for all of our, our loyal listeners out there. Um, number one, can you actually play the riff for us and give us your own version of it? Number two, uh, belt out a belt out a song. Uh, and that, the lyrics you, must uh, the lyrics must include the markets will fall. The markets will fall. Yeah, there you go. That's a challenge. And uh, yeah, that challenge, right? Uh, Victor Kumar, the winning riff, uh, you'll get a lunch with Victor at his, at his uh, restaurant of choice, which I imagine is Rashi's out of Campbelltown. <laughs> <laughs> no, I flesh out, mate. I flesh out. It's you know, exactly you still matters. see him out there driving the streets. You know, some people think Victor these days is just an armchair warrior sitting there with his 50 television screen looking at market data but no i know for a fact that he's still out there on the ground doing what he does and Bill, Bill, the, the fact that you just mentioned that particular restaurant uh, we haven't got a sponsorship deal with them so they just got uh, free free advertising so maybe vic you should ask them for a set of plates well maybe. the guy that owns Rashi's, he actually uh, was living in Cameltown. he's a Cameltown lad i know him well he's the only he's one a restaurant great success story no they're everywhere Rashi. Yeah, everywhere yeah, they're great. There's a Rashi's at Tugra on the Central Coast. Um, you know, he's he's a a great story of uh, Aussie ingenuity and and entrepreneurship. And it's all of these people, Victor, who who end up buying investment properties, right? And they make their business, mm-hmm. make their money in business and park in property. It's uh that was it's as old as time. That was slick. This I, that transition was super cool. Well done, mate. You, you like must be that. a journalist. Yeah, I know you're sitting there taking notes, going, "Okay, see what he did there." He we set it all up and a bit of fun, yeah. you know, some some subtle sledging. Uh, indeed, indeed <laughs> sledging. Um, is that the operative word today? Is it subtle? Subtle, yeah. Subtle. It's like the property market. Very subtle at the moment. Yeah. Not much happening either way. No, no. Well, it depends whose publications you, you read. Well, this is it, right? You know, if, um, um, if you read uh, the mainstream media and they're obviously in the business of, sensationalised commentary, they'll still tell you there's blood on the streets, whereas um, you connect them with more informed commentary, and I would even put you guys inside of that, your, your media celebrities these days, uh, co-hosts of Investing Insights, the right property group, you know, you do your Facebook Lives, you're definitely in the media. More informed commentary would say otherwise. Um, this is it right now, and if you can get out 
the negative sentiments and, and, and maybe some of the information you have inside of your ears right now, which is stopping you investing in property. My view, and I think you guys subscribe to the same thing, is that we're, we're nearing the bottom of this current downward cycle. The smart operators are buying in the dip and we're definitely in the dip right now. It's how far through the dip we are and how long that dip will be dipped. Who knows? But um, the negative sentiments around property is a handbrake for many people's investment decision making at the moment. So I think maybe we should unpack that a little bit today, guys. It's an interesting uh, point you say there around confidence and whether you should buy the dip. I uh, I think one of the main points people need to understand is around awareness. And that awareness is not just about the data, but it's also from a coalface perspective. And understand, as we've talked about many, many times, is it it's it's general commentary that we're seeing from mainstream media, which is, I guess, to some degree being led by the Sydney and Melbourne markets. And then everything is kind of compartmentalized into those two markets from an Australian point of view. And I think people should be aware. I think people need to be aware, but it's certainly not the blood on the streets that has been talked about or that has been predicted. That hasn't happened for a multitude of reasons, which I guess we can get to later on during the podcast. But the market is between your ears, always has been and always will be. And I guess um, now with the age of fast information transfer, the sentiment is changed quite rapidly. And depending on you know what media people consume and what articles they read and who they talk to, especially over Facebook, you get this easy sway of whether the market is going up, down, sideways, depending on what articles you consume and, of course, what's also happening within your own household and your own portfolio. And if you take that to the yesteryears, these transitions that we see in the market right now, they were not as pronounced and they were not as quick as opposed to right now because of the transfer of information. Which is all due to technology, Vic. Mm. And we've talked about that over the last probably seven or eight years around how technology has the ability to change markets in whatever the asset class is in shorter periods of time compared to what traditionally has been these rolling decades, I guess, yep. of asset value, whether it's up or, or down, but now because of technology once again. And the, at the advent of influences or finfluences, things can change very quickly. Yeah, and it's an interesting point. I haven't really put too much thought to it before, but you know, this notion of the speed of information change accelerating the way in which markets behave, should we throw, throw out? All of the history that we've had over many, many years pre this information environment and say markets don't operate like that anymore. So the speed of a negative market is going to be more condensed than the speed of a positive market is going to be more condensed. So you know, this notion of property valuing, uh, property doubling every 7 to 10 years, 7 to 12 years, of, you talk there about this sort of decorate, decade sort of shift between markets. Is that now going to be in two to three year spurts, and that is the new cadence for market cycles. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. It is the new cadence for market cycles. Now, we're not going to put a time frame to it, as in oh, things will happen within two to three years, but because of that, the speed of transfer of knowledge and information, in combination with, I guess, a few generations of people that are far more entrepreneurial today than what they were 20 years ago because Mm. of technology and the like, 
these shifts in market conditions will happen quicker. And we've seen that. I mean, we do we throw away decades and decades and decades of fundamentals on what actually creates a market? No, we don't. But what we can't do is, I guess, interpret and analyse markets from 40 years ago and think that they're going to behave the same way today. Yeah, because we've got to remember that um, if, we, if we're looking at, you know, investing via just data, we are looking at reverse-facing data and, and predicting forward forward-facing growth, right? So we're trying to predict growth and get into it with reverse-facing data. Whereas you really need to take that as well as take into account the various cycles, right? The, the, you know, the finance cycle, the media cycle, and then the actual ground truth to actually make your decisions. That way, you know, you're not getting caught up with the rapidly changing data, the rapidly changing sentiment. You're still grounded in terms of the fundamentals and you're still grounded in terms of what you're trying to achieve and not speculating. So I look at this, and it's an interesting dynamic, and I, I view it through the lens of there's positive negatives, there's winners and losers in this. And, and one of the negatives of this environment, this sort of accelerated cadence of property markets, is that it's going to be a lot less forgiving for investors. So your mistakes will be amplified. However, on the flip side of that, if, you're, if you can operate smartly within this environment, your wins can be accelerated and amplified rapidly. So you get it right. And what maybe used to take a decade or two decades to build a property portfolio in, you could probably, you know, the half-life on, on, on that would be very different. You'd be able to move a lot faster and get the wins a lot quicker, but with more risk. I, I don't know how, how you operate effectively within that. It's good for you guys in the business of supporting property investors to make those fundamental decisions because, you know, Rather than a bad mistake taking 10 years to realise, a bad mistake may only take two years to realise. You need to fix that stuff pretty quickly. I think even if you went further back, it would be, once again, to the transfer of knowledge and how quickly it can be, or let's call it exposure, is around that education piece. Mm. Like you go back to when you and I started, Vic, there there was nothing. No. Even our industry didn't exist. We remember uh, going into real estate agents and they would bring out the old Levarge files for you know listings that were sort of a bit stale. And now correct. all you need to do is jump on the net. Yeah. And so that that education piece is huge. It's it's opened up people's reality to the potential of where they could be because people don't want to rely upon government funding in their retirement. You know, they have goals, they have ambitions, they have a certain lifestyle that they'd like to to live and they understand that potentially working nine to five and spending your dough is not going to get you there. And it's not how much money you earn, it's what you do with it. And that's all part of that education piece that's now a plethora of information across the interweb. It's just choosing your flavor, I guess, that matches your your risk profile. Yeah. Now Phil, you mentioned, you know, that it's fairly easy to get onto a few winners in property. And if it goes wrong, it's a lot more forgiving than the decades that you need to wait uh, when the information wasn't free flowing. I think the other side of the coin also is that because of the ease of information, when people get it right the first time, uh, because it's, it's not hard to jump on the net and look at, okay, people are buying here, I'm going to buy here, right? And they're not buying towards a plan. This is where a lot of Mistakes can happen because you're just looking at the flash in the pan and you're not investing towards a purpose. And, uh, you know, you get it right once and you think, okay, you've got the formula perfect. And you start repeating that. And that's when the market turns against you. 
And a good example of that would be we were in very low interest rates thanks to COVID. And a lot of people jumped in and they were absolute winners because the properties didn't cost them that much to hold the skyrocketed in value. And now all of a sudden the market's turn. In, in other words, it's returning to normal. And if they had kept repeating the same thing without taking into account that at some point in time it'll return to normal, that's where a lot of people will get financially hurt. I guess ultimately it comes back down to cash flow management, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you can withstand higher interest rates if you have that cash flow component under control. And that would be a combination of household budgets, discretionary spending, and also having chosen the right localities where in today's environment, rents are skyrocketing to somewhat buffer those those interest rate rises. Now, if you were investing and you weren't an investor, and there is a big difference, therefore being more speculative and just jumping onto that gravy train of growth with a sharp fall in sentiment and had no plan, well, then probably you're in a bit of a sticky situation if you haven't had any forethought, any planning strategy. So this, yeah, this this market, Steve, it's unique and you've both been at this for a long time and, and, and I liked your view on it, but it's one that we haven't seen before and, and you would think, and, and then the closest the closest comparison we have to try and define this market is the GFC, which we all, you invested through. I, I started investing at the back end of that. And even then, there's there's very little clues. You've got this, this rampant inflation. We still have supply chain constraints. Uh, we have interest rates heading north. Uh, you would look at a lot of that stuff and compare it to the past and go, yeah, there's got to be blood on the streets with, with property. However, you know, we're in an environment with very low un- unemployment. We have uh, an environment where people aren't, distressed to sell their properties. You have an environment where people's lending ability has been curtailed by rising uh, interest rates, so serviceability type issues. So a market which is just not really doing anything. You know, it's a spring, supposed to be smack bang in the middle of the spring selling season, very lackluster. You know, it, it's stable. The market is stable, and that's a good thing in terms of the inherent value of where most of us keep our wealth in the property markets. But it's a really, really strange environment. So if we are at or towards the bottom of this particular cycle. And, and they always say that the speed down and the speed up back to where it was is typically about the same amount of time. So this is the, the cadence of accelerated property cycles. What's going on? There seems to be confidence coming back into the market. I think this sort of last six months of rising interest rates, people have accepted now. Yeah. Family balance sheets are strong. Middle market's performing really well, Victor. Where is this confidence coming from? Like auction rates are, are holding pretty firm. Um, I think it's a, it's a weird, weird market. Yeah, I, th- I think the danger is people comparing the GFC market to today's market and the results mm-hmm. that follow. The, the two are nothing like each other. And as you rightly mentioned, yeah, we invested heavily through the GFC and I struggle to find more than a handful of similar components to today's market and there, the GFC's market. You know, just some sort of top line stuff. There was very little intent for participation during the the GFC. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the employment rates that we have today. Back then, it was quite the reverse. Massive, massive amounts of low consumer confidence, and there was blood on the streets. There were mortgage in possession auctions every other day of the week in multiples. We don't have that today. You know, I don't. I think I've done, or as a team, we've done maybe two 
mortgagee possession sales over the last. You, you used to love this, yeah. Steve. I remember going to mortgagee possession <laughs> sales yeah. for you out at um, the Vegas of the West. What's it called? Um, St. Mary's. St. Mary's. Yeah. Well, all across cool. Sydney, yeah. all, all across Sydney, um, Rudy Hill RSL, I think it was. Rudy Hill RSL, uh, that's it. Yeah. It's, uh, but they're not today. Like we've done one or two in 12 months. And it imagine, certainly wasn't. Imagine going to one of them right now. How good that would be. Do you know what? I, I don't the think. Buying. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't think there'd be the, the value there personally. it. Um, but look, the two markets that we're talking about, the GFC and today, I don't think you could even draw parallels. And I think it'd be a waste of breath to do so but why are we in today's position where there is still confidence where there is the want there is the intent for participation perhaps the ability isn't there why well the same things that we've talked about probably over the last two dozen podcasts we have an exploding immigration piece and population we went into this undersupplied we have the rising cost of construction at its greatest rate in multi-decades, excluding when the GST was uh, implemented. We have a lending system which is far different than what it was from decades ago. And I believe we have a more sophisticated mindset, which is a huge piece of the puzzle. And so people are saying, well, I'm actually in an okay position, generally speaking, and I say that quite deliberately because the commentary we're giving needs to match the general commentary from mainstream media, as we talked about before. I mean, discretionary spending is still way up there. It's huge, huge levels. Now, when people have no confidence, well, that's the first thing that's squared away. That's the first thing that reduces. And that's what the RBA wants at the moment, but it's not happening. It's not Um, getting it it's not getting it. We, we're, mortgage holders are in front of their mortgages more so than probably ever, thanks to potentially products such as the offset facility and, and the like, as well as in combination with that more sophisticated, educated approach or understanding. So we don't have those pieces of the puzzle that are causing blood on the streets, as you mentioned, or this spiralling confidence piece. It's not there. And people, every day they open their media article of choice, there is something about today's vacancy rates are the lowest in 30 years or in history since data has been collected in some areas. And so they put one and one together and they say, well, where's my desire to sell when I'm in an increasing income environment, being the rent from the property I've got some wage growth. We'll rate real wage growth is a, is a different, I guess, kettle of fish. And I know my jobs, my job situation, if that be the case, is more than secure. Yeah, job security is key. Correct. Mm-hmm. Job security is a big part of confidence, right? And whilst the interest rates or their their upward and downward movements has a bearing on asset value, so too does the flow of credit. And we haven't seen, I guess the deliberate handbrake being pulled to slow that flow of credit. The banks still want to lend. And we did a podcast with one of our brokers the other day, which will be released very soon, and I urge everybody to to listen to that around how different it is over the last 12 months or even since APRA. It'll be really surprising, so make sure you tune and listen. So it's a, it's a different environment today. So where does that leave us? And this is just purely my opinion. I'm sure Vic's the same, is that, Give or take, we are at the bottom of the general cycle. 
the general cycle. There are areas that are still going up. There are areas that are holding firm and tracking sideways. And yes, there are areas that have suffered dramatically. But if we dig deeper and ask, well, okay, where are the areas that have suffered dramatically? You could nearly pinpoint that generally in and around affordability, where we have larger mortgages, lower yields, increasing interest rate environment, and we're not seeing the rate of rental increases to match somewhat those rate increases acting as a, as a cushion effect. And so the gap is probably getting wider. That's where the sufferance is. Most other places, and I say most quite deliberately, are tracking along just nicely. Thank you very much. Back to the future. So does that give you I clues guess- there where, where you should be buying, Victor? Sorry, man. Well, uh, it, it comes back to the age-old question, right, where you can afford and where the fundamentals work, right? And, and uh, one of the things that people tend to do is try and time the bottom of the market. No one can really do that, right? You, you know the bottom of the market after it's already passed, but you can see all of the signs leading up to it. And, and that, that's what Steve's been saying is that all of the components are in place uh, to show that it's pretty much at the bottom. The um, only thing that is perhaps masking that is the lower volume of properties in the market. And that's because a lot of people with the higher rents that they're getting, plus the fact that they've come off the back of a huge surge of growth, they're thinking, why why, why get rid of something that's really performing well? Uh, So your traditional spring season isn't there, plus added to the fact that if they sell that asset, they're not necessarily able to qualify for a loan to replace that asset, right? So if they're home right. upgrading or, or downgrading, they might not be able to qualify. And that in itself is the gap in the market that one can exploit, a well-rounded investor can exploit, especially if they've taken into account what we've been advising all along is to keep your equity liquid for days like this where your borrowing capacity may have dropped, but you've got surplus cash, you can pad it up and buy the right asset on the assumption that this lending will ease out. And already we're seeing the first snippets of it where there's some banks that have, um, won't name the bank, but there's a bank that's come out and looking at 90%, uh, taking 90% of the rent into account. The argument being that vacancy factor is so low that we will take 90% of the rent. Now, traditionally, it would be 75 to 80%. So the banks in the business of lending money they will find ways. They'll be obviously upright at some point in time will st- step in and say, well, let's change the assessment rate. Let's dial it back down again. And regardless of where the interest rate sits, the money will start flowing fast again. And you'll have that next surge of growth off the back of uh, you know rising immigration, good rents, high yields, and the fact that we'll be looking back and saying, there was a big growth there. Let's, let's capture that again. That's a great point, Vic, and you've just given a few little snippets away of that podcast with MLS uh, and Z. Like, if, and, I'll, and I'll I'll just mention one little piece which I think people need to understand. So, part of the position that we're in today is because of that APRA handbrake back in fifteen, sixteen, or whatever it is, which just decimated participation. Yeah, and participation equals supply. That's why we are today in terms of being undersupplied. But if we fast forward to today and look in the rear vision mirror at what APRA did and with their buffers, we are well in excess of that today. And so what I mean by that, it is not unheard of with some lenders today to be, I guess, servicing you. It would be the terminology. 
at between 8 and 10%. So that's the rate to the consumer plus the bank's buffer rate. So there goes the participation piece. I mean, or there it is, I should say. So where does that – so if we know that we're, we're being, I guess, throttled in terms of participation due to the circumstances, then what does that do to the future? Where are we going to be for the next three to five years in terms of supply? So that one could argue, and I'm going to be very, very general here, one could argue that somewhere in the next two to five years could be another boom. Mm. Big call. You believe that? I, I agree with that. Steve. Are you just pontificating, Stephen, or do you actually believe that? <laughs> no, I actually believe it. My money's where my mouth is, Phil. <laughs> I'm trying to buy whatever I can. Now, if that's just me, everybody's different. But all the ingredients, or just about all the ingredients, are there. The big one where's is the, where's the boom going to be, though? Where's the boom going to be? That's the million dollar question, Phil. It's gonna right. it's gonna that, depend. That, that's why people pay you guys money to find a good property. That's why they pay us the big bucks. Yeah. I tell you what, I'll answer it this way. There'll be a obviously supply and demand is always key, as in combination with infrastructure, jobs, affordability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, confidence. I think the real leading indicators are gonna be where the government whether it be from a state or federal point of view, starts to unbeknownst to them, or maybe it is known to them, to stimulate the buying activity. So that will be via different grants. First homeowner grant, which we know New South Wales is tinkering with, uh, stamp duty reform, stamp duty tax reform, which we know New South Wales is tinkering with, infrastructure projects, federally dipping into your super, et cetera, et cetera. When you get the combination of all these different grants, with a more liquid financial or lending ecosystem, just like we did at the beginning and through COVID, then we have accelerated growth patterns. And I think we're, I'm pretty confident somewhere between the next two and five years. And I think looking back in history, again, in environments where you look for, where growth will happen based on where the government, whether it's federal or state, pumping in their money. I think it's going to be different moving forward. They've always, you know, they've always paid lip service to growing regional and rural economies. But I think this next cycle, you're actually going to see real skin in the game in that environment. And that's going to change up how people live and how cities evolve. You know, just just having this catch all going, oh, invested capital markets, I think this next cycle will change forever how property operates in Australia. I think that's already happened, Phil. I think mm. that's happened. Thank you very much, COVID. In combination with technology, the technology's always been there, but I don't yeah, think it's technology realize. again it comes down to technology, yeah, speed correct. of speed of information transfer. Like you know, I'm in a different country at the moment and we're still having a an engaged and connected conversation. It doesn't matter where I am. It's correct. all the same. So um, this is just it's going to be a seismic shift. COVID accelerated what should have happened, but I think now there's there is the clear realisation by state governments that just pumping money into capital city markets isn't going to get you the return on investment that it used to get you. No, and it's not in combination with the fact that we've got just superseded immigration patterns, mm. which is necessary, but we need to have the jobs 
in let's call it these non-capital areas, so we'll call it regional areas, and everyone's open to interpretation on regional, but there needs to be the jobs there as well. So mm. clearly infrastructure projects, which then hopefully becomes sort of self-perpetuating within the localised economies, that will, in, I guess, not just encourage, but that will facilitate large amounts of immigration so that we're not looking at very short-term one-trick pony towns mm. because we do need the infrastructure, we do need the employment, and we need the connectivity, and that's very, very important, and that is via, once again, technology. So I think you're right. I think the markets – well, actually, this goes back to what you said before. Is it different today than what it was before, and can we use you know, eons of decades past as a good lesson or indicator on what the future holds? No. We can't. We've got to rip it up. I think you've got to rip up history. It's, it's, yep. you know, and I'm a, a student of history, and I think through the study of history, you can largely start shaping how or, or getting a view of what the future may look like. Yes, and there's, there's, you speak about the fundamentals. You know, they're as relevant today as what they have been in other markets, but things have changed so seismically. The fact that we're in the market that we're in right now, and there's no real analogues for that in history because purely it's technology-driven, I think what will happen moving forward is that the market that we're in will have other markets like this moving forward. This sort of sort of static, I call it a static market of stabilization is where we're at right now. And and we'll look back in time to this period and be able to go, ah, there's all the clues right there, what the next market's going to be. But it's very different than what's happened before. And it's very exciting. One of the cool. things that um, one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that we really need to be investing with bad times in mind. So investing for the bad times, mm-hmm. that way you can never go wrong, right? So what I mean by that is that you know just because an area is showing a flash of growth because there's uh, you know people going in there, but the fundamentals aren't there traditionally, it might not have the longevity. A good example of that would be you know an area that's just setting up a mine. That's when the construction phase happens. That's when the action is. And then they automate that, right? So by and large, a lot of the jobs are lost. So we need to be really careful as to where we buy and assume that it's going to get into a bad market. And if we take that approach, we can never go wrong because you'll always stick to areas that have got really good fundamentals. You'll always stick to areas that have got good liquidity and you'll always stay away from speculation. Here's a... a a challenging idea, Victor, sort of looking forward into time, when we look back to this moment right here, is this the new bad market? Is this what a bad market's going to look like in the future? Um, Look, a bad market usually entails no free flow of credit, right? We can Mm -hmm. still relatively get money right now. So it's not not necessarily the absolute bad market, but for some, it may be. So it's no longer a holistic bad market it could be a bad market for you because you had the you know at the absolute red line in terms of your borrowing capacity or you had the absolute red line in terms of the household budget so therefore for you it could be a bad market even if we went to the absolute boom during covid for some it would have been the worst market to invest in because that there was no job security there was no job certainty for them and therefore the income wasn't there so they had to sit it out i think phil that's a very dangerous question yeah, is this the new norm in a bad? Is, is this journalist, the new- mate. I'm, I'm a journalist. I, know, right? I call people in dangerous situations. It is. It's, and you're um, on one right now. Be very, very careful how you answer this, mate. I never think before I speak, and it, it, so it, it doesn't really matter what the consequences are. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's but a is fundamental, this, Steve. Yeah, is this the yeah? 
go to the fundamental trick. Is is this the new norm for a bad market? I actually don't believe it is, and I'll tell you why, because we're in quite unique circumstances where sort of just to sort of repeat myself, you know, construction issues, massive undersupply, massive in immigration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The next bad market will be a combination of the exact opposite. So it will be a combination of oversupply, static immigration, poor consumer confidence, and an increasing jobless rate. That's that's what it'll be. Yeah, I agree. What needs to happen for that to happen though? Like oh, well, well, we really got really got to come off the rails, right? Considering well, we do. You know, this is you know, I think there's there's a golden period for Australia sort of moving forward, despite some of the strategic challenges uh, in, in its position in Asia. You know, we, we, we need growth. We need, we're an attractive country um, for people to come and live in. And I think COVID has been a, an indicator of that. We need the borders open. We need skilled migration coming in. We have good stuff we can still dig out of the ground and sell to people, which is going to sort out the government coffers for some time to come, despite some of the challenges. Um, it's our opportunity to get it wrong as a nation. I believe through maybe it's there for us. To, yeah, it's there for us to lose. Policy or mismanagement. Yeah, it's there for us to lose the game. Yeah, like that's what it is. Like we, we talk about immigration and what Australia has to offer. Like, look what's happening in other parts of the world. That's why we're seeing like the take up rate in terms of immigration for people wanting to get to Australia as the best choice. And yeah, maybe I'm being a little biased as well, but considering what else is going on around the world, and it's shocking. We don't have that, those issues, let's call it. No. Um, we have a great way of life. We, you can do whatever you want to do in Australia. It's there for you to succeed. And so people come here and people have. Like I, As I say that, I can think of probably three dozen clients which were a new immigrant, so let's call them in the last 15 years, and came here with nothing, and I mean nothing, and to see where they are today is just enormous, and it shows you what is what is possible. Now, we're, I, I believe, one of very few places in the world that you have that possibility, you have that potential. And once again, because of technology, people get to know what we have to offer, not to mention the branding exercise of big events like, I don't know, the Olympics yeah. and the like. You know, it's um, it's interesting. It's it's really interesting. But I I truly do believe that Australia, the game is there to be lost. Yeah, I agree. I subscribe to that. So the question, if we get a bit tactical with this, how do you buy effectively in the dip? Uh, number one, are we in the dip right now? Well, I, I believe we are. Right. So yeah. um, if you look at it from there's there's two dips we're in. One is the finance dip. Right. Mm. And the other is the actual property dip itself, right? Where sentiment isn't as robust as it was mere six months ago, because a lot of people haven't seen these interest rate rises. In fact, a lot of investors have never seen interest rate rises. And we've had the sharpest rise ever in history. So that has created a gap in the market where people are sort of taking a step back and saying, oh, I don't know about this. So it's the informed that are then jumping in and capitalizing on properties that people still need to sell. Now, whether it's a relationship breakdown, business breakdown, or they're just, you know, upgrading, uprooting, going elsewhere, and they they do have to sell. And um, when you factor that in with the finance dip, where 
people have been caught unawares or unprepared because they were not taking stock of where they were. They thought the rosy times of free-flowing finance with low interest rates will be there forever. There comes in that that big chunk of market where you can, if you've already uh, made your equity liquid, it doesn't matter what the lending uh, um, you can get at the moment, so long as you've uh, you've got all of your equity accessible to you, you can buy that as a large portion as cash. And as the finance frees up, you can go back and recapitalize, right? And and the finance will free up. You know, in a matter of, I dare say, within a year, two years, finance will be very free flowing. If I go back to my own experience back in two thousand and six, when I bought a couple of properties. Back then, and finance is absolutely locked up, and you just simply could not get borrowing based on uh, how I was deriving my income back then, and and based on lending criteria. To then just a mere three to three years later, the bank was throwing money at me. Right now, the same thing will happen with with uh, investors as well. So you when you get this market, generally when there's less people, the intent is still there, but there's less people able to buy. And you get yourself set into this market, you're just setting yourself up for a massive upswing. Now, whether that happens in a year, two years, or three years, I don't think it'll be beyond the three years because you've got all of the ingredients, like Steve said, lining up construction, immigration, rising rents. There will be the change in sentiment in terms of the finance. So, when you've got all of this lining up, it is the gap that you've got where you can just simply capitalize, build up a portfolio uh, and just wait for what is going to happen inevitably. Summary. Good time to be an investor, Steve. If you can afford to, I think it's always a good time. Um, And and ultimately, that's what it comes down to, further to Victor's point earlier on, when, when you can. Mm. And I think whilst we're in a very transitional period at this moment in time, I don't think it's any more than what we've seen. In fact, I don't think the transition or the swing is as big as what I've seen in the past. In fact, I don't think it's anywhere near it. And whilst Vic's saying, you know, maybe we're going to see an upside in, you know, his guess is two years, he's really making commentary in a very general sense once again because that's how we need to combat the general media and their opinions. Once there are markets doing stuff right now, and even if you want to somehow hang the GFC in comparison, probably made more money during the GFC as an investor than I ever did because of the choice that was there. We just don't have. That's the hurdle that we have today. Is there's not that overwhelming choice. It's certainly nowhere near as bad as what it was over the last two to three years with COVID and the big FOMO effect. You know, once again, spring selling season is not here. And so therefore, when you have record, or we'll call it record low, it's not, but it's very close to it, record low stock on market, you don't need a lot of transactions to create or to change the buoyancy or the cadence of that market. Interesting times. What do you do about Steve? Can you guys, if you're unsure, can, can you phone a friend? Can you phone Victor Kumar and Steve Waters? Uh, look, there is a process, but I think the very first <laughs> thing that anybody needs Please, to do I need is, help. Yeah, I need help. I think the very first thing people always should do is is take stock of their situation. And if you don't know how to, then in, then start having that chat with people that can help you. 
and that mm. your own situation is around income and expenditure. It is around surplus funds. It is around goals. It is around a strategy and a plan. You know, we often talk about design a decade because a decade is a hell of a long time and there are some major milestones. In fact, go back and listen to our podcast around design a decade. It's such a helpful strategy, I guess, in yeah, its very and, and nothing's form. changed, right? Still the same nothing's process. Nothing's changed, yeah. Still the same process. Excellent. All right. Um, best place to find you, Vic, is the Just, Facebook. Um, go, go on to Facebook or our website, writepropertygroup.com.au, and um, uh, you know, there's a contact, contact us form. Fairly easy to get in touch with us. Yeah, and then keep those questions coming as well. We, we need to do that Q&A episode, gents. Um, I know they're lining up. So that's questions at Right Property Group. Very good. Um, always enjoy the the discussion, gents. Um, you know, for those listeners who have been with us for many years, um, thanks for joining us on this journey. And uh, I get a real kick out of chatting with these guys every single month. Um, without any real, there's not like a a detailed briefing and organisation when it comes to putting these together. We we typically like it to be free flowing ideas because that's when the ideas are challenged and um. And, and unique and genuine at the point of time. So um, it works for us and it seems to work for our listeners. So we'll keep doing what we're doing, but we're always interested in, in positive and constructive feedback. If you'd like us to do something else that we're not doing, please do get in touch. Uh, questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au. Uh, Steve Waters and Victor Kumar there, directors there. Give these guys a bell if you want to... Um, supercharge your investing journey. Uh, We'll see you again next time. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.